Welcome to The Bone Club. The Bone Club is a global network for orthopedic surgeons and allied health professionals to share knowledge across geographical and organizational boundaries. We are an open community that celebrates diversity and inclusivity. All practitioners in musculoskeletal health are welcome to join us. Please visit thebone.club in order to learn more. The following is a recording from one of our rooms on Clubhouse. It is live, unedited, and published with the consent of those involved. Opinions belong to those involved and do not necessarily reflect those of the Bone Club. This is not medical advice. Now, onto the podcast. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Bone Club. Um, this is a special Tuesday evening um, discussion uh, about diversity in orthopedics, and it's quite a topical discussion, um, especially with the drive um, with the Royal College of Surgeons and various other organizations to try and improve diversity within surgery and also within orthopedics. We're joined by several esteemed colleagues um, from uh, the UK, as well as some from uh, overseas who will be joining us in a few moments. This is an open platform. This is the Bone Club. This is a free not-for-profit initiative, which is aiming to help spread surgical and orthopedic education um, across borders, across geographical boundaries, organizational boundaries, and providing everyone with a platform so that they can talk, they can ask questions in a flattened hierarchy manner, uh, which will allow us to have really good discussions and really get the pertinent points across. So uh, without further ado, um, I'm going to uh, get everyone to introduce themselves. And Karen, who is on my left-hand side, um, is going to be the main moderator for this evening's program. Just so you know how the platform works, for anyone who's new, I can see a couple party hats um, in the audience. Um, This is uh, an open platform, so we welcome contributions from others. If you want to make a comment or ask a question, press the little hands up button on the bottom right hand corner of your screen and one of the moderators will bring you up. Please do mute your microphone until um, it's uh, uh, you're called, on, uh, called upon by the moderators so that you can make your point um, and then mute yourself when you're not talking just so that we can have some clarity in the audio. Uh, this room is going to last for about, half, uh, about 60 minutes to 75 minutes and um, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for questions. Um, so uh, this is a really good forum. And as I've said, we're streaming live on YouTube uh, for anyone who's using an Android device. And in addition to that, we are also recording this for a podcast that will mean that all of the learnings from tonight will be available to a much wider audience um, at a convenient time for our listeners. So um, without further ado, let's uh, get to introductions. So um, on my uh, left-hand side is Karen. Karen, do you want to unmute yourself and introduce yourself, please? Good evening, everyone. My name is Karen. I am an uh, SD3 orthopedic trainee based in London. Um, I'll be a moderator for today discussing the RCS diversity report and what this means for the future of surgery and also for the future of orthopedics. Um, I want to thank our guests in advance for taking time to attend our discussion room today. And um, I really look forward to uh, the discussions we'll have later this evening. Thank you. And then uh, we're going to move over to Trish, who is, if you if everyone scrolls down on their screen, we'll all have the same order. So in case you haven't used the platform form, scroll down, it will refresh the screen, and um, we'll just work across like we're reading a book. So uh, I think I've already introduced myself. I'm Akib Khan. I'm an orthopedic registrar uh, in uh, Northwest London. On my right-hand side, it should be Trish. So Trish, do you want to unmute yourself and uh, introduce yourself, please? Hi, thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Um, my name is Trish Campbell. I'm an SD6 up in the northeast of England, uh, trauma and orthopedic registrar. Um, the last year I was a leadership fellow at Health Education England, and I was past, well, I'm now the past president of British Orthopedic Training Association. 
and I also sat on the RCS panel for reviewing the surgical surgical leadership. Um, so yeah, really excited to be here. Fantastic, and I can hear a baby in the background. So um, that's... yeah, I've just moved. Sorry about that. No, no, no. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's exactly what we want to hear. So thanks so much <laughs> for finding the time this evening. Um, and then next, we're on to Deborah Eastwood, please, if you could unmute yourself. Yes, hi, I'm uh, uh, Deborah Eastwood. I'm an orthopedic surgeon uh, with paediatrics being my specialty. And I'm vice president-elect of the BOA. Thank you so much for joining us. And next on to um, Professor Neil Morrison. So, hi everybody, I'm Neil. I'm president of the Royal College of Surgeons of England and I'm not an orthopedic surgeon. Fantastic. Um, so thank you so much for making it this evening. And we're going to move to the right to um, Anthea Davy, please. Hello, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Anthea Davy. I'm a consultant orthopedic surgeon working at University College London Hospital. And uh, my subspecialty is hand surgery. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm wearing my, my party hat today, so hopefully everything will go okay. Um, I'm, I'm a member of the Women in Surgery Forum at the Royal College of Surgeons. And for those of you who are um, from outside the UK, um, the WINS Forum, Forum, Women in Surgery, is um, um, a, a group which aims to inspire and encourage uh, women at all stages of their surgical careers. Um, and uh, I also have an interest in um, equality, diversity and inclusion. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting to be here today. Um, looking forward to this. Thank you. That's great. Thank you so much. And next on to uh, Naomi Davis. Uh, hi there, I'm Naomi Davis. I'm a children's orthopaedic surgeon in Manchester, have been for the last 20 years or so. Um, I'm somewhat surprised to be here um, for a number of reasons, which may or may, not, may or may not come out later on. Great, thank you. Looking forward to it. Um, we do have a couple other people who will be joining us soon. I think that they're um, just a little bit delayed. We will have Dr. Jen Weiss, uh, who's also known as My Mum the Surgeon. Um, she's a California-based um, surgeon who uh, is also a part of the AAOS. Um, and is quite keen on orthopedic diversity. And in addition to that, we also should be having um, Dr. Anna Simos, who's a um, professor of orthopedic surgery in um, Brazil. And um, she's also uh, part of the Women in Surgery uh, division in Latin America. So we're really excited to have both of them joining us in a moment. Um, without further ado, over to you, Karen. Great, thank you, Abit, and thank you everyone for kind of introducing themselves. So um, I'd like to start off with a summary of the RCS report. So the um, Royal College of Surgeons Independent Review on Diversity was commissioned by Professor Mortensen, who is with us tonight, to consider and understand the diversity of the college professional leadership. This was following expressions of dissatisfaction about the college's leadership diversity and a sentiment that the college did not truly reflect the society in which we live. The report confirmed the perception of the college as an old boys network and a general feeling from the respondents that the college did not represent themselves. It found experiences of microaggression based on race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and socioeconomic background. And it highlighted the lack of representation, SAS surgeons, and international medical graduates in the college felt. Furthermore, many felt that the college council and position leadership were reserved for a select few with an exclusive electoral process. Baroness Kennedy concludes the report with a 16-point plan and a vision for the college to aim towards, which is to be an inclusive, diverse, professional organization committed to fairness and anti-discrimination, supporting and promoting the highest professional and surgical standards, and the best outcomes for patients in spirit of respect and compassion for patients and for each other. 
Tonight, we will aim to discuss the topics of women in surgery, race and ethnicity, parents in surgery, LGBTQ surgeons, SAS and international, international medical graduates, and differential attainment exams. We will revisit the 16-point recommendation plan, and following that, we will open up the floor to the audience to ask questions. There are many um, important topics to cover, so we will try our best to stick to our agenda and touch upon them and to stay on time. I want to thank everyone in advance for attending, and I hope you find the discussions interesting and inspiring. So first off, I'd like to direct my question to Professor Mortensen, um, the president of our Royal College of Surgeons of England. Why did you ask uh, Baroness Kennedy for this independent review, and what triggered the launch of the review for you, for you, and what was the motivation behind it? Well, thanks, Karen, very much. <clears throat> Two firsts for me. I've not spoken to the Bone Club before, and I've not used Clubhouse before, and I'm absolutely delighted to be here, and thank you very, very much for your invitation. Um, I was elected to be president of the Royal College of Surgeons by a very arcane process in which the council chooses the person they want to be the president. Other royal uh, colleges choose their presidents in some uh, occasions from the uh, general membership, but not the Royal College of Surgeons of England. And I suppose that's problem number one in a sense that from the outside that seemed to be a cosy elite. In the run-up to the election, I had to write a side of A4, which was my election manifesto, and one of the items included was a better deal for women and ethnic minorities. Um, I have a son and two daughters. I have a medical wife. My two daughters are extremely strong characters. One of them is a doctor, and I can see on a number of occasions the problems she struggled with in her medical career in uh, specialties largely, um, if you like, run, governed by men. Uh, I felt very strongly that with 13% only-ish of our consultant workforce in surgery being female, and with 40% coming from ethnic minorities, the council of the college, but more especially its senior leadership wasn't really representative. Um, it's true you have to have experience, but you need a range of experience in order to make good decisions. So um, I actually took up my job in July, uh, but in the run-up to that, there was the George Floyd incident, there was Black Lives Matter, there were lots of things going on which absolutely confirmed to me that I needed to do something about this for the Royal College of Surgeons of England. As it happened, I knew Baroness Kennedy. Um, I knew that we'd li be likely to have a very forceful character if we chose her for the independent review. Um, but I thought it was absolutely no point having an older white male judge, for example, to look at this for us. It had to be somebody uh, like Helena. I'm absolutely delighted she took it on for us. In our discussions in the run-up to the review, I also uh, wanted it to be independent. I wanted there to be absolutely no suggestion that this was going to be a stitch-up by the Royal College. And I think uh, the fruits of it have borne out that philosophy. In other words, it has been something which has held up a mirror to us. We've learned much, I think the panellists learned much about other people's 
lived experience um, and I'm absolutely delighted that although we have been very heavily criticised and much of it is deeply uncomfortable reading, in terms of the general reception the review has had, it has said the College of Surgeons of England is really looking at itself and wants to be different in the future. So I'm very, very pleased with that and I'll stop there. That's great. Thank you so much. It's it's really inspiring to hear someone in a position of power to um, question the need of the diversity within the college because I think the report mentions this as well, is that we need more than uh, people in the marginalised communities standing up for us. We need allyship and someone in your position of power doing that for us is really, really inspiring. So thank you very much for asking for this review. Um, I would like to uh, direct my question to Trish, who actually sat on the, the panel for the review and just wanted to know what your experience was like and what did it mean for you to be on this landmark paper and report um, for the RCS uh, College? Hi, thank you. Um, it was an honour and a privilege um, to be to be part of it. Um, so I started um, the first meeting was a week after my daughter was born. So um, for me, it was a you know a, a stressful time, but I felt it was something that I absolutely needed to be involved with. Um, it was so it was over the course of probably about five about five months. Um, we met regularly. We heard. The, the lived experiences of a lot of people. Um, I say it was a privilege to be on because it, it just felt kind of momentous um, because it was a safe space where people felt they could share their vulnerabilities and their experiences. Um, and I'm quite aware that that's not, not really been done before. Um, a lot of the time, a surgeon in particular, something will happen and you will just put it to the back and move on and not really talk about it and not feel comfortable to. Um, and Baroness Kennedy really um, created that atmosphere where people felt they were able to talk. Um, it's, I feel as though what we've done um, is created is a massive legacy for the future um, and hopefully will lead the way not only for surgery but for the whole healthcare community going forward. Um, I'm just really proud to, to have been involved with it. It sounds like it was a, an amazing and um, unique experience. I know that the, the BOA, the British Orthopedic Association, has also recently launched its diversity and inclusion strategy, for which Prof Eastwood is actually um, the executive lead for. Um, Prof Eastwood, I wanted to um, ask you, reading the report from the RCS and being on the lead for the BOA, how do you think the are we we moving in the right direction and do we have the rest of the community with us? Um, I know that orthopedics is doing really well, but do you think that the rest of the other subspecialty associations are also moving in the same direction? Uh, thanks, Karen. I, I do honestly believe that the BOA is making progress from probably a, a dark place, but I think our turning point was the two, 2018 centenary congress where groups of us had to make talks about different aspects of where orthopedics had come to in the last hundred years and i've been sequestered away in pediatric orthopedic surgery where women and ethnic minorities are well represented but i had to take my head out of the, the sand and look at the the wider concept con um you know what i mean the wider problem uh and it was uncomfortable as uh, prof mortensen has said it was uncomfortable so i think we started 
trying to revamp things a little earlier. Uh, I think we have made small but significant steps in culture change over the last two, three years. And that is evidenced in the, um, the appointments we've made to council as trustees, to our committees, to our future leader programs, and to, um, and to the engagement with our diversity inclusion, inclusion policy. So I think there's a lot to do, but I think we're on the right track. Sorry, and the specialty associations, some, some, so paediatrics is good, hands is good, spines are pretty terrible, but they know that. And we had a diversity session at the British Scoliosis Society um, this, this recently. So I think everyone is on board and approaching things in a similar but slightly different manner because we're all a bit different and we all like to handle change in a slightly different way. But I am quite confident that we're all moving steadily to the right, you know, up, in the right direction. That's great. Thank you. Um, I, I do, I've seen that recently in the BOA, the, the executive board is, you know, full of very, very illustrious and successful um, board members, including yourself. However, it was um, a full white um, board. And how do you think we can try to inspire surgeons from different um, ethnic minorities and different backgrounds to take up the opportunity for leadership roles, um, especially after this um, report? How can we inspire them to come forward and to take the chance and try to lead uh, and take a role in the community? It, it is tricky, Karen. I, I, I think it shouldn't be, but it seems to be. We, we, so my big word is engagement. You can be as diverse as you like in attitude and you can be as inclusive as you like in attitude. But if you don't engage with your members, if, for example, your members don't apply for positions, then it's a bit tricky. So we have to find a way of really engaging with our members and showing to them that we are diverse and inclusive and we do want them to engage with us and we do want them to stand for a committee position or we do want them to be uh, involved in council or, or exec. But I'm very happy to you know, talk around as much and to engage people as much as we can, but we do need people to step up and be willing. So we need to sort of broaden our outlook and be much more encouraging to all our members of the BOA in the hopes that if we're encouraging to all, then that will include those who are a bit too shy to step forward, those who are perceive themselves to be in a minority and therefore perceive themselves not to be welcome. So everyone has their own little hang-ups and some are obviously much more significant than others. So we need to engage with everyone. I think that's my basic standpoint to start off with, Karen. Karen, do you mind if I come in there? Please do. Um, I'm a firm believer in you can't be what you can't see. So I think a lot of people, they don't see the role model. They don't see people that look like them, which holds them back. So I think visibility is key. If we, yep. it, you know, I think for me, for example, how I was president of VOTA, if a medical student can look at me and say, well, she's an orthopedic registrar, I can do it. That will inspire a generation of people that would think, God, there's no one that looks like me. I can't possibly do it. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is a sense of belonging. I think we can talk about diversity, we can talk about inclusion, but if people don't feel like they belong, they won't put themselves forward. So I think it's up to us to kind of create that sense of belonging and then people will put themselves forward more. 
Um, thank you, Trace. No, I actually absolutely agree. And the report does touch on this, the perception of the college as being old boys network and that they don't see the people that represents them in these leadership roles. And as you say, that they have no one to inspire them because um, they don't see that re being represented. And I, I think it's, um, it's, as you said, the, the sense of belonging. And it's really difficult when you're not in a position of minority to... Uh, I've never been in that position to understand what that means to not feel like you belong. And and it, this comes with a lot of the uh, microaggressions as well. It's difficult to explain to our colleagues who may not have experienced these microaggression uh, incidences and to allow them to try to understand what it means to be on the recipient, like receiving end of that. So uh, speaking of microaggressions, um, I wanted to ask uh, Ms. Uh, Trish and also Ms. Davia as well, being black female orthopedic surgeons, how did you, how did you manage and approach these situations when there are instances of microaggression? And what is a good way to make it a learning experience for everyone involved and not a, um, a finger pointing uh, such um, occurrence? Um, I think it's really difficult. Um, there's di different ways. Sometimes you don't even realize something has happened until you go away. So in that situation, it's very difficult to address it. And then it depends on your personality. If you're the kind of person who would say, actually, what do you mean? You know, and just to get clarification on what that means, and then you can kind of talk it out. But other people may not feel comfortable to talk about things. So I really think you need an ally. You need someone you can talk to and um, who can advise you and can, you know, a mentor as such, um, someone that can really fight for you if it's necessary. I think it's very difficult as an individual sometimes to speak up for yourself, but if you've got someone who can do that for you, it's a lot easier. Yes, um, I, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, the issue with the microaggressions, which one of my colleagues insists that, uh, that they're not microaggressions, they're actually macroaggressions. Um, is that they're, they're cumulative and they build up and they sap your energy and you spend part of the energy that you could be using for excellence trying to work out the context of the comment or the behaviour, um, which ones to challenge, but probably most importantly, what what response you, you want to achieve. Um, something Sometimes you just want somebody to stop, sometimes you want to give someone some insight, other times you want something to change and trying to work out um, what is the the response you wish to achieve? Um, it does sometimes take a bit of time, but I would absolutely echo um, the need to have allies and the fact that this is not a, a um, something which you can reasonably take on alone. Obviously, there are some things that you need to call out on the, the spot, but um, for the most part, um, discussion with your colleagues, discussion with your um, your consultant, your, uh, your TPD, um, trusted friends and family to try and work out how you can um, um, achieve the, the, the response that, that, that you want to, to get. Because the worst situation is to find yourself sitting in a room with a couple of guys trying to explain why you decided to call something out and being accused of upsetting somebody by so doing. So it does take a little bit of time and thought and, and context. Context is, is everything. Context is everything. Uh, absolutely. And the, the report also mentioned that you know, people who are on the receiving of such behaviours are often asking themselves what they could have done differently and not what the what other people around them could have done for them. So I think the, the topic of allyship and 
maybe education and training around allyship is very important. And I wanted to ask um, um, Ms. Uh, Davis, being um, a female surgeon, how do you think we can make the issue of women in surgery, people of color, um, an important agenda for everyone and, and not just for those who are being affected? Well, I, I think the the report in itself um, has been, uh, first of all, it's, it's absolutely courageous of the Royal College of Surgeons and, and Prof Mortensen to, to um, uh, to really uncover some of the issues um, affecting um, a good proportion of the people who go through a surgical education or surgical training or surgical career, and to appreciate that um, there is no one standard career. And, and um, it affects people very differently. It's very um, um, in, individual. Um, I think that... Um, in general, um, a greater awareness on the part of um, society, which I think is naturally coming, along with very specific aims to um, improve the, the experience for everyone um, is appropriate. And looking specifically at the uh, recommendations, seeing that they are time limited is I think one of the, the best things that I've seen in a, in a long time, because we've had various reports and various recommendations, but very few of them have actually held themselves to a time limit. Um, so there's work that we need to do in society because we just really need to be a slightly better society for everybody. Um, there's work that needs to be done in terms of education from going into medical school of um, um, differences in health and health inequalities. Um, and um, there's work that um, we hope that we will take on in the future um, in terms of formal training. Um, I noticed that um, there's a plan to uh, adopt the um, Australian model of, um, of training, which I think is very exciting in terms of, of diversity. Um, so I think, you know, it's a multi-layered approach. Um, and I'm very pleased to see that we're perhaps moving away from the concept that people need to do more resilience training to build yourself up to withstand the onslaught and a better appreciation that there are things that other people can do. Again, we're talking about allyship and that this is an issue for everybody, not those who are considered to be, inverted commas, um, diverse. So um, it's a multifactorial um, uh, approach. And I hope that things will um, improve and, and we've got some targets in order to measure things by. That's great, thank you. Um, I, Prof Mortensen, I know we've, we touched upon the 16-point recommendation plan and Ms Davies uh, disc um, touched upon the diversity and inclusion training. Personally, from, uh, from the action plan, how do you plan on implementing this training and convincing or trying to get everyone on board that this is an important issue for everyone. Um, so thank you, Karen, and thanks everybody for your comments so far. I'm learning a lot. I think we're still in the stages of uh, working through exactly what we're going to do. So anything I say will be very preliminary. Um, one of the colleagues on the Australian colleague uh, college council is actually in the uk at the moment who worked on their diversity 
training and they're going to help us in London, as it were, with doing a very similar exercise. I hope it'll be successful. I guess my concern about all this is everybody's speaking very highly of it. I'm really, really concerned that uh, we run into roadblocks along the way. We run into criticisms or we run into people saying we can't be so extreme or we can't move so quickly or we can't do that because of the tradition of the institution. So that's going to be a really, really tough call. And um, I might need all of your help at some stage or another along the way. Um, I think generally my colleagues in the council of the college are very, very positive about it. But there are one or two things which I think are going to be difficult in terms of the basic structures of the way in which we elect people to the council and then to hire office positions. I think in general, though, uh, we're going to be able to do it. And um, as has been said, what's great is to have a timeline to try and keep us to it because it's very easy to th let things like this drift. Naomi, do you have a comment? Go ahead. Yes, I do. Thank you. I just want to take us back a little bit, and I think um, I think you're you're referring to this, but I don't think we know what good looks like. Um, Deborah, you said that you know the children's society is, is good, and I'm going to beg to differ. Um, we've had a, a quite a lot of engagement. We've had a number of prominent women apply to be have posts on the board, and they've failed over and over again. And in fact, you'll know that nobody since you really has been on the main board of Biscoffs, um, despite a lot of people applying. And so it is really ingrained. And unless we have a measure of what is good, um, we don't know that we've got there. And I know that that's difficult to do and I don't know whether anybody in this room has some advice on that. The other thing that um, we've been talking about quite a lot recently in a much smaller group um, is around mentorship because it's clear that you know we talk about role models and women needing women female role models and, and and you know we can go on and extrapolate although as you as you say Anthea everyone's a little bit different and everyone needs something different but in fact there's something as well about women mentoring men um, and therefore, you know, breeding something new in the next generation through. Uh, and I think one of the reasons I'm surprised to be here is that I would have thought we'd have got this sorted out by now, and we haven't. And so, um, you know, I don't think this is the first attempt. I don't think these, it may be the biggest attempt, but it's, it's not the first time we've been having this conversation, and yet we don't seem to have moved on. So I think to move on, we need to have some goals, not just timelines, but some very specific goals and some ideas of what good looks like. Um, th thank you. Thank you very much for that. I, I do think the, um, uh, as Professor Mon said, it's a, it seems to be a huge task and cultural change takes a long time and definitely mentoring and uh, educating uh, male surgeons um, onto these issues is extremely important. It's, um, I think it's really difficult when uh, you are, especially in orthopedics, when female trainees only make up about a third of the, of the training uh, surgeons. How can we how can we ask and inspire more surgeons to be uh, taking up these roles, especially when it comes to a parenthood and having families, which it coincides with a lot of our training time. time. And um, maybe maybe Trish can be able to you know, give us some insight into how she found the experience of you know, pregnancy and maternity leave and whether or not you had any reservations when it came to 
taking a training in orthopedics. Hi, um, I always feel a bit of a fraud when people ask me to talk about being a parent in surgery um, because my baby's only seven months old and I've actually not been in training since she was born. So um, I um, last year I was on UPI, so out of programme experience. I was working at Health Education England when I was pregnant. So I had an office job, which was nine to five. Um, my meetings you know, from March were on Zoom. So I don't, I can't really speak of what it's like to be pregnant and do it on call or pregnant and operating. Um, and I'm sure that comes with its own, with its own challenges. But in terms of, um, you know, planning, you know, to my mind, I always wanted to be a surgeon and I always wanted to have children. And, you know, I, d I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think if it's what you want to do, you do it and you find a way. Um, again, I can't, you know, I can't talk about the challenges of, of what being in the workplace because I haven't I haven't faced that so far. Um, but I've approached my TPD. We've talked about it. I'm applying for less than full time training, so I'm going eighty percent. Um, it's been welcomed. Um, it's actually my TPD that suggested it, rather than me saying, you know, should I do this? He said, have you thought about um, going less than full time? So I guess it's about. Um, it goes back to what we're saying have an ally have support um so i don't really i feel like i can't really talk about um all the challenges because I, I haven't faced them as yet and I, I don't really know um what they are if that makes sense thanks rich i'm just going to interject here just to say that um we've also got mr nick Ferran who's joined us and um mr Ferran, do you want to introduce yourself uh and uh say a little bit about yourself before we continue uh, thanks, Akib. Um, I'm Nick Ferran. I'm a shoulder and elbow uh, surgeon in northwest London. I was a previous BOTA SAC rep um, and have an interest in education and training. Um, but I'm also an LGBT consultant and, um, you know, have obviously had my own lived experience. But in addition to that, I've sort of witnessed how the culture of surgery can turn away future surgeons who are LGBT, um, how our culture as surgeons can affect LGBT patients. Um, and so I think that this report goes a long way and it was, you know, quite stark to read some of my own experience in those few paragraphs in the report. But we not only have to change structures of our our institutions, we have to change our departments and our experience, not only for uh, existing surgeons and trainees, but future surgeons and our patients as well. Um, that's great. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Fran. Um, I, I personally am an LGBTQ surgeon as well. And similarly, reading those few lines that were in the report, I completely identified with all the experiences that they were mentioning and the difficulty it is to be um, like queer within surgery because there just seems to be such a uh, an environment of machoism that uh, feels quite threatening at times. And it's just the it's how we're going to approach the, the training for this and what is the best way to educate those who are not experiences these and also in microaggression and to bring them on board to support us. Um, I wanted to ask Prof. Mortensen, in terms of uh, part of the recommendation plan, uh, how how are we going to implement this this training, and do you have any ideas about training for diversity and inclusion? 
Um, well, as I mentioned, I mean, um, number 15, training, the council staff of the college will need training on how to impl implement the report and how to conduct anti-discriminatory recruitment and interviewing. Um, and as I say, um, I, I personally would like there to, to be a, uh, uh, every, every council member uh, or every surgeon who comes into the building in London or is part of the college to sign a pledge around their attitudes uh, and their uh, willingness to uh, undertake the training and for that pledge to be renewed every year. Uh, I have an idea that we will have an alumnus meeting every five years for those who've graduated the five year previously. I say FRCS or probably MRCS might be a bit too soon, but if every surgeon in the college came back every five to ten years and we had a program which reinforced uh, all these basic uh, attitudes and behaviors uh, that that would be a great way of reaffirming uh, what surgery should be like I completely agree with the previous comment about what good looks like and recommendation 14 data collection is really important we we realized within the college we had a very very old uh, management system for our membership it didn't collect the right kind of information about everybody so it's impossible for us to be able to say we are making progress in x y or z uh, because we just don't have the information so that's another really really important way of helping us see a what's wrong and then be making progress. I hope that's a reasonable answer. But as I say, uh, we're all uh, still talking about how we're going. I, I think you might have just muted your um, yourself, uh, Professor Mortensen, if you could just press the button bottom right. Yeah, no, I'd stop there. Thank you. Oh, brilliant. Okay, great. Um, so I just wanted to say that we have uh, got Dr. Jennifer Weiss, who's joining us from um, California. Uh, on the call, so she's just um, uh, logged on. So um, at the moment, just so that you're up to speed, uh, Dr. Weiss, uh, we're speaking about diversity, and there's been a report by the Royal College of Surgeons in in the, uh, in England, um, which is quite a remarkable report and a very brave report, um, talking about uh, diversity and how, and some clear goals about what should be achieved going forward. And um, we also have um, Professor East, Deborah Eastwood, uh, who is um, uh, quite senior in the British Orthopaedic Association, um, and obviously you are involved in the AAOS, and this is an international issue. And I was wondering whether you could share some of your perspective, introduce yourself, and share some of your perspectives on this topic. Um, number one, it is wonderful to see all of you and to see all of the interest in this topic, um, or I guess to hear all of you. And um, thank you for including me. Um, Number two, I'm thrilled to hear that um, the Royal College of Surgeons is um, is making such a move. Um, in the U.S., um, in the AAOS specifically, uh, we have uh, done um, the first step, which is a survey of harassment and bullying um, amongst our uh, physician membership. And that was done three to four years ago and it's due for a repeat actually being designed this year. Um, it has been uh, 
a very interesting process for me to educate myself on recently um, because I've become interested in the U.S. and the oversight of these issues is very, um, I'll just call it out, it, it, it's, there's a black hole and a gap there that I'm starting to understand. In the last month, a group of us, uh, mostly anonymous, but I am not anonymous, um, has begun a program called Speak Up Ortho. And it is a gathering of anonymous stories of uh, mostly women and um, sadly, mostly sad and maddening stories um, that we are amplifying. And um, one of the arms of our group is in understanding advocacy efforts and there's a gap in although our um, our body called the ACGME, which oversees our training programs, there are a number of um, uh, of um, violations of the ACGME in these reports. However, when trainees go to the ACGME, there's not a body to adjudicate it necessarily. So we are doing um, well at complaining and um, doing well at defining the issue. And um, there is a lot of work being spearheaded across specialties, um, orthopedics, general surgery, and OBGYN um, really to affect um, to affect change with a, diff- a, a number of different strategies. But we're in our infancy, and it's really frustrating. Um, thank you, um, Dr. Weiss. It's uh, great to have you join us. Um, we, we, I think, as Professor Mortensen um, and uh, Ms. Davies has mentioned, that it's we are also in the beginning of our change and our journey towards increasing diversity and inclusion within surgery. Um, and uh, if we, we were mentioned previously about parenthood and surgery, and Trish touched upon it briefly as a new mother, um, but how do you think what we can support um, as part of our movement towards inclusion and belonging, um, parents who are in surgery, and to ensure that they, are, they feel supported and don't feel like they are going to be uh, negatively impacted by taking time out to have a family? I um, I love, first of all, that you're calling a parenting question and not a mom question. Um, I think that that is, um, it came naturally to your question, and I think that's step number one. Um, to me, there's two arms of this in my way of thinking, or actually three. Number one is the actual process of bearing children, which is a female issue. Um, and um, then there is the process of being able to parent. And um, then there's also the issue of adoption or new parenting and bonding, which is a issue for any gender. And um, I, I think we're remiss in all of those. Um, in the U.S., our uh, parental leave, although it's dictated by the um, that body I told you about, the different programs are wildly, and orthopedics are wildly different in terms of what they do and the attitudes that they have. And a lot of our speak up stories are about women who are incredibly fearful of getting pregnant, being pregnant, or telling anybody that they're pregnant while they're 
while they're training. And then to me, the parenting part of it is has everything to do with flexibility of schedules. And I believe that this is a silver lining of COVID because I think we're finding that there's so much that can be done virtually and off hours in terms of clinics and in terms of taking care of our patients and in terms of terms of a little bit of interchangeability, like trusting other people to step in with our patients and vice versa. So those are some broad stroke um, issues. And then lastly, I would say you can't be what you can't see. So if you don't see somebody um, who's your mentor or somebody senior in the field that is enjoying being a parent and being an orthopedic surgeon, it's really hard to imagine doing it yourself. And so my biggest mentor in this was actually Vern Tolo because he was super involved with his family at all times and always loved being an orthopedic surgeon. And having that come from one of the grandfathers of our field here in the U.S. has um, made me uh, very confident. Thank you so much for that. Karen, before we continue, I just want to refresh the room just so everyone knows um, what we're up to, just because there are a few new faces in the audience and a few new people on YouTube as well who are listening in. So this is The Bone Club. Um, We're discussing the face of orthopedics after the Royal College of Surgeons diversity report. Um, And we're joined by an esteemed panel of experts um, who have various different experiences within this, uh, as well as the um, president of the Royal College of Surgeons of England. So um, I just want to let the audience know that you're welcome to ask questions. So um, please do use this opportunity. Uh, having all of these people here um, this evening, you know, it's it's a great opportunity to ask any questions about the report or maybe share some stories about, you know, your own experiences within um, your fields and diversity. Uh, please do that by pressing the button on the bottom right hand corner, which is the hands up button. Um, and then we'll we'll get you up on stage and you're more than welcome to to have a bit of a Q&A session and um and, you know, ask your question or, or share your comment. Uh, Karen, back to you. Thank you, Akib, and, and thank you, Dr. Weiss, for your um, your input and, and being a role model for um, parents, uh, mothers, fathers, and having a family and juggling all of that. It's an amazing feat, and you're absolutely right. I think we need to see that this is possible and that we can try to have it all and not have to give up either our careers or our prospects of having a family. Um, you mentioned COVID, and I think it's um, really interesting because obviously with COVID, we've gone all gone virtual. And one of the things that was highlighted in the report was that the location of the college being in London was actually a barrier to um, surgeons taking up t- um, council positions and leadership roles. We have uh, Trish and um, uh, Miss Naomi Davis, who are in the north. And I wanted to ask Miss um, Naomi Davis, did you... Uh, is the location of the college being in London, was that a barrier to you? And have you had um, other surgeons um, express that uh, that kind of sentiment in where you work? Uh, well, no, I need to declare I'm not a member of the Royal College of Surgeons. I'm a member of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. So I'm technically a southerner for them. And uh, so, I, no, I don't regard that as a barrier. Um, and even, you know, even pre-COVID, if, you, if you've got an important job to do, you'll do it. And I, I, I don't think... Um, we're a, we're a relatively small country compared to, uh, to the US, and I, I well, may, other people may think it was a barrier, but I don't think geography particularly was a, is a barrier. But that's just me. Um, so other other people may have a different opinion on that one. I mean, they're, they're, being able to do things by Zoom has certainly allowed for more conversations. Um, 
So, you know, I kind of wonder if we'd be having this conversation. It's so much easier to meet with people. Um, you know, a group of us got together that I don't think we would ever have done before um, to uh, discuss some of these issues and to bring other people together. So there's been a lot of projects both within, uh, you know, equality and diversity and in other areas that we've been able to take forward uh, very quickly during COVID. And, uh, you know, if we need to drag some good out of it, then so we have done. Um, and it's good to be having the conversations, but I don't think geography per se is the issue for me. Um, and, and Trish, you, you're based in the, in the North East as well. And what are your experiences with the college being based in London? and? Is that going to be a perceived barrier for you? I mean, me personally, no, because I went to medical school in London. My sister lives in London, so I loved going to the college because I could combine combine it with visiting my sister and seeing my friends that, you know, are still in London. Um, I can see how it may be a, a barrier to some people, but actually, you know, pre-COVID, you took the, you know, the fast train at seven o'clock in the morning, you were there for the 10 o'clock start for a meeting, it was fine, it wasn't a problem. Um, I personally don't don't think it is a barrier. I can see how it may be perceived as that, but I think things are changing now and, it, you know, everything is online. So I don't think that the location is a massive problem. That's very that's really positive here. I'm glad that nobody thinks that being in London is going to be an issue. Um, so speaking of COVID and and the future after COVID, in in terms of training needs, uh, I think my one of my personal uh, questions would be: We have um, the report have, has described a representation, a lack of representation of SAS um, surgeons as well as international medical graduates. Um, I, I guess mainly to a uh, question directed to Prof Eastwood and Prof Mortensen. How sh are we going to be able to balance the needs of trainees as well as those needs of SAS and international medical graduates, surgeons? It's um, a difficult time for everyone, but do you have any um, kind of positive uh, insight or ideas about how we can address this? Uh, shall, I, shall I go first, Neil? Um, uh, there, I mean, I feel there are several issues in that, in that in that question, Karen. So I think engagement and involvement of our SAS surgeons within the BOA, for example, we have broadened our voting criteria so that our SAS doctors and our senior trainees uh, now ha are eligible to vote for our council elections and trustee elections and to take more active roles. So I think that's one way that we've engaged with our SAS surgeons. We're in the process of, of doing a major uh, review of our policy documents on the role of the SAS doctor within trauma and orthopaedics and the wider NHS. Not that we influence the wider NHS, but just to sort of clarify the SAS roles. And then, of course, the BOA is all about ensuring training standards, but that in encompasses career development for our, our SAS surgeons. And I agree, it is going to be difficult trying to juggle everyone's needs and wants in the uh, current climate. It was difficult enough pre-COVID. This has heightened uh, our awareness of sort of new and, uh, and different challenges. And so I don't think we've got a total answer yet, except to say that we have to be able to ensure that all members of our British Orthopaedic Association, so our surgeons, our trainees, our SAS surgeon, surgical colleagues, that they're all, uh, they all have access to all the training opportunities and career development opportunities. 
Yeah, thanks, Deborah. Maybe I'll, I'll go now. Um, I think the first thing to say is um, we have a potential workforce catastrophe upon our hands. We may be having surgeons leaving. We have maybe a recruitment issue from medical school. We have a retention issue uh, of trainees, maybe wanting to go off and do something else because they've got fed up. Um, and that's why this inclusion, diversity, inclusion, uh, the word inclusion is so important. We need everybody in the surgical workforce, whatever their ethnic background, whatever their gender, whatever their sexual orientation, we need everybody. There's going to be an absolutely massive amount of work to be done. And I think we'd all have to hold our hands up and say, in a way, the SAS group have been a bit of a lost tribe. I don't think we have done fairly by them. We've concentrated on the whole business of um, consultant appointments, and that's the only true way to get to a point where you can deliver surgical care. I think we need to get to the point where we can think more broadly. I think the SAS group need a much better deal in terms of personal career development. And uh, we've all been talking about uh, belonging, a sense that we are all part of the surgical workforce. And to exclude them, I think, would be completely wrong. Now, I know that for those uh, in surgical training, this creates tensions. But I'd like to, from my part, as president of the Royal College of Surgeons, and what little I have to do in terms of influence and nudging, to say that in all the committees I meet within Health Education England and within the Department of Health, we repeatedly bang the drum around training. We repeatedly bang the, the drum around new consultant appointments. Uh, we repeatedly bang the drum around workforce. So I think uh, there is a massive job to be done and there will be the jobs to do. And I don't think uh, we should be scared of um, the SAS group and their implications for the surgical workforce. I think we need to embrace them as part of the team. That, that's great. Thank you. I think that's um, the very positive outlook and uh, the most uh, inclusive way of ensuring that we are moving together as a community, as a profession, especially as we try to overcome the effects of COVID. Um, and yeah, education training is for all and not just for some. And I think that's extremely important. They, um, speaking of education training, I'm, I'm just trying to cover all aspects of the report. They mentioned a differential attainment in exams. Um, and there was also a mention of this perception that if you're a person of color, you shouldn't go to the RCS England to do your exam because you're unlikely to pass. It's um, difficult to uh, read that and to, um, do feel that that's what the, some people perceive the colleges to be, but in terms of mentoring training, how can we how can we find a space for those who don't feel like they belong in in the training in, in surgery or within the community? Um, and I I guess Miss um, Miss Anthea Davy, she's you're really passionate about education and training. How can you encourage those who don't feel like they belong to to step up and you know kind of kind of face the 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 community and make the most of the training opportunities thank you um i, th I think that's a, a really difficult um question because it's it is it's, it's really quite 
broad. Um, there's so much to think about. Um, a number of speakers have already mentioned you, you can't be what uh, you can't see. And um, by seeing an increasing number of people from diverse backgrounds um, welcomed and thriving within surgical careers will certainly be encouraging to those um, coming through or have a thought of, of, of um, pursuing a surgical um, career. Um, I certainly think that there are roles for the medical schools, um, although this does start pre-medical, but medical schools do have a massive role in um, starting people off on the right foot. Um, I'll give an example. I was involved in um, a surgical skills course um, for students uh, last week involving students from around the country. Um, and it was quite concerning um, when you asked um, some of the uh, young women surgeons there or potential surgeons there um, about their experience. And you would hear, oh, I really enjoyed my orthopedic um, um, experience, but um, I was told by the registrar, by the consultant, etc., that uh, this really wasn't a, um, a, a place for me. So that in itself was a little bit um, concerning, but what was more worrying was that there was a lot of pressure from um, their peers saying, you won't enjoy it. It won't be um, a place for you. You know, orthopedics isn't where you want to, to, to end up. Um, and compounding that was the description of, um, oh, when I was told orthopedics wasn't for me, um, they were only concerned for my future. So this was somebody who'd met them for a couple of hours, making an expression of, you know, you, you ought to come into this particular um, field. So there is work to be done from a very early stage within the medical schools to ensure that people are aware of um, the fact that surgery is available for everyone. There is a really very lively um, surgical society network throughout the country and the, the college ought to um, continue to, to pour resources um, uh, and to collaborate with that. Um, mentorship is vitally, vitally important and um, I hope that um, the college will continue um, its efforts to provide mentoring um, both informally and perhaps on a more formal um, basis. Um, I think only by um, increasing personal interactions um, and being able to demonstrate um, when one looks at the array of surgeons within council, within the college, within hospitals, within uh, the medical schools, interacting with the medical schools, will you be able to um, encourage people um, to join a profession which is extremely rewarding and I, I believe is opening up or attempting to open up um, its, its arms and, and, and to welcome um, a diverse um, group of, of medical school uh, students um, and existing surgeons in. So engagement, as Bobby Eastwood said, is, is the key on a personal basis, but also a demonstration throughout the surgical hierarchy, if you, if you wish to call it that. That's fantastic. Thank you so much.
Um, just as you guys may have noticed, we have started getting some people who are um, raising their hands and wanting to come up to say something. Um, we are coming up to an hour now on this room, so uh, just to respect um, uh, our speaker's time, we have limited this room to um, about 75 minutes, um, just so that everyone can get off and, and continue with their, their evening. Although the moderators, we will stick back for a bit afterwards if anyone else has any other points. Um, but certainly the panelists, uh, if you have other places to be, um, we'll, we'll uh, you know, kindly ask for another 15 minutes of your time whilst we have a few questions that want to be asked. Um, so, uh, Karen, if it's okay with you, shall we start letting uh, the audience ask some questions? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Um, we have Ashwin. Hi, thanks, Karen. Thanks, Akib. This is an absolutely fantastic club and a really, really excellent uh, discussion going on, especially with Prof Mortensen and um, Professor Eastwood here. So my question just pertains to basically, as quite a junior trainee and hoping to do orthopedics in the future, um, how, this concept of allyship, I think, was brought up by Miss Davy. Um, as, as, as male colleagues, what does that look like for us? And what can we do to aid our female colleagues to, to cre create a more inclusive environment? What Would you have any suggestions on what we could personally do? Thank you. I, I would love to jump in with that. Um, and uh, from, from the US perspective, and, and very curious um, what, what you, the experts across the pond have to say but for here we're doing a lot of thinking about bystander work and how to um speak up for people around us that um are perhaps too stunned or in a position of not enough um power to be able to speak up for themselves so the bystander work and then the other point that i'll raise controversially is nothing is um as upsetting to somebody who has received bad behavior as when the person who's a bad behavior person or perpetrator to use kind of a uh, um edgier word when that person we often see them being lauded as an excellent he for she in public and so i think the vetting of who the really outspoken allies are is important to the integrity of um, feeling supported and i can tell that as a young trainee asking that question um you're you're on the right path and and thank you Brilliant. Any thoughts from uh, this side of the pond? Anyone want to um, comment on on Ashwin's point about how how can um, uh, you know men be more supportive within um, uh, our work environments? I wonder if I could speak up as a man. Um, I think it's all about setting an example. Um, I think every single interaction we have is remembered by everybody in the room. Our patients remember how we react to them. Our colleagues remember how we react to them. And we have a duty and responsibility to bear that in mind and to set the best possible example we have in terms of personal behavior. And then secondly, I think uh, being as inclusive as possible. Uh, for example, at, at the simplest, running a committee or uh, running a case asking everybody's opinion in the room what they think about how it's going and what should happen next. I think being that kind of person to include everybody in the conversation rather than just letting the loudest people always speak up first. Brilliant. Anthea, you had a point as well. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say that um, these these behaviours are, are are extremely important, but when we actually boil them down, it is it's basic human behaviour. I don't think it's any more complex than that. Um, I think we just need to to have a little bit more humanity in our daily interactions. Um, and um, there's a lot of, sometimes there is, there is peer pressure to behave in a particular way, to fit to a particular stereotype, because the impression is that that's the stereotype which makes progress. And to a certain extent, I, I, I believe, you know, historically speaking, um, traditionally speaking, that that was the case. But I think things are changing and our value systems are changing and the sort of behaviours that we are now encouraging and recognising and valuing um, are more polite. It's, it's a great deal of... It's, it's a lot more courteous. Um, and um, if you are that sort of person and you're, you're attending this talk, which uh, means you're more or less self-selecting as, a, as, as one of those people, I think that's brilliant. Um, I, I think, again, you are on the, on the right track. And hopefully the peer pressure will move over time to that sort of 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 polite and, and courteous behavior that's fantastic Naomi, do you want to go ahead yeah yeah I, I, well i mean aside from just agreeing but we there has been some mention um this evening about um power and hierarchy and i think um you know if we can try and get rid of those words um i think that might be a good thing as well and and it is it is professionalism um um, and as you say, it's about being nice to each other, but really flattening out that hierarchy, because as soon as that comes into play is when people feel that they don't have the power, that they're undervalued um, and that people aren't taking them seriously. So, um, as you say, it's about being nice to each other. But I'm interested that we're still using the words power and hierarchy um, in a way that feels like everybody needs to have it rather than perhaps fewer people need to have it you see what i mean or we don't nobody needs to have it um and we flatten that out that's quite an interesting point and actually um on a side note this is one of the reasons why we really like this platform of clubhouse is that we have everyone on stage right now from medical students to um trainees to consultants attendings and all you can see is the first name of everybody and it kind of feels you know like an open environment where we can discuss things um, so, you know, again, thank you to everyone for coming on on board this evening. Um, speaking of uh, hierarchy and leadership, um, the next uh, person to speak is going to be Pedro, who I know is a part of the Healthcare Leadership Authority, and she's a final medical student. Go ahead, Pedro. Hi, everyone. Thank you for that, Akib. And so, yeah, so my question is more regarding towards medical students. Um, so I've faced a lot of resistance in medical school to pursue surgery in lectures, on wards, in surgical societies. At one point, I think I had to, I actually reached out to Farah Bati, the chair of the Women's Surgery Forum, to actually sort it out because it was getting really toxic. And so what can we do as medical students and incoming trainees to speak out without having any precautions happening towards us in the future? That's my main concern moving forward. So let's open it up to the panel. Anyone want to respond to that? Hi, hi, Pedra. Um, it's something that I mentioned a bit earlier, which is um, thinking very carefully about the result that you you wish to obtain, and um, and working through the, the the number of resources that are available to you, um, 
and those range from um, um, the, the your colleagues and your um, university um, uh, society, your um, your head of year, because we're not yet into a, a training program. Um, it's something which I certainly, um, speaking independently, not as a, um, as a member of, of, of women in surgery, um, I, I think it's something which, which we need to, to um, perhaps tackle on um, a larger basis, on a wider basis, um, and have a mechanism agreed across our medical uh, schools as to how these sort of grievances can be uh, raised. Um, it's really difficult to go it alone. Um, I certainly wouldn't uh, advise that. I think you're quite right to seek advice from um, from uh, wise, wiser heads and people who've been through these situations to have some assistance. I'm not sure that the Guardian service is available to, to medical students um, until they hit the, um, uh, the, the clinical years, but there really ought to be um, something that you can... Um, uh, do at present to get some assistance and I think in the future there needs to be a mechanism through which medical students can raise these grievances um, without fear of impairing their, um, their, their, their future careers. Um, it's a very difficult situation but um, I, I, I think that um, it's something that many of the medical schools are attempting to, to deal with individually but I think there needs to be a, a link up and a, a formal way of, of, of dealing with this. Brilliant. Nick, did you have something to say as well? Uh, I, I was uh, just going to talk about a little bit around allyship, um, but also um, I think that in uh, answer to Pedro's question, I think this is where mentors can play a really good role. Um, as a, you know, As a gay trainee, I had nobody that I could see that I could be. Um, and my concern uh, around, uh, you know, being gay as an orthopedic surgeon was, will I get a consultant job after all these years of effort? And I've never had, in my experience, anything said to me or, or any sort of uh, aggression towards me in the workplace. But where allies can play a role is how we behave even socially because everybody would be prim and proper on the ward and in clinics, and then we'd all go out for a pint. You know, we can't do that very often now. Um, and that's where, you know, in a joking scenario, people would be casually homophobic. And for me, while I didn't take offense at those jokes, it made me wonder, okay, so if casual homophobia is okay for you, what will you be like if you were sat on my interview panel? Or would you want me as your colleague? Or, you know, would you stand up for me if somebody, you know, did, um, you know, try to, to, to stand against me? So I think, um, firstly, when you're going through those situations, my, my way through was through uh, mentors, my, my AES, my assigned educational supervisor, who I had as a six-year thing, and I was finally able about halfway through training to open up to her about my experience and that I was actually gay. Um, after several times of her asking me, do you have a wife? Um, and, you know, they were able to reassure me and, and help me out with some of the things that I found were, was challenging. Um, but we, I think there is a role for mentors. It's hard to have mentors for everything when there's 
minorities. Um, but but uh, we also need allies, and part of allyship is first understanding, and then not only having that behavior in the workplace, but when you socialize outside, because that does have an impact. And, and, you know, medical students pick up on, on our behaviors and, and think about whether these careers are right for them or not. And uh, I, I've even seen some of these behaviors directed either directly or indirectly to patients. So um, there is work to be done for sure. Such an interesting perspective. Pedro, go ahead. Yep. Follow up. I was just going to say thank you for that. And in regards to mentorship, in terms of medical school, it's quite hard to get that in place because there's so many of us. At the same time, we're not sure what specialities we want to go into. But then it does question whether we do need diversity and leadership um, education within the medical curriculum and a robust educational um uh, robust um, diversity and leadership education into our medical curriculums because when I reflect on my KCL learning there has been some great modules but it hasn't been throughout every single year and so people forget about these momentums go into the wards and reflect the same behaviors that doctors um, perceive on their own staff and then come back and perceive it on their own colleagues so I think something going forward is maybe questioning the curriculum itself in terms of diversity and leadership for all specialities and not just surgical specialities. Maybe that's a way to go forward regarding this. But thank you so much, everyone, for answering this because I had this question going through my mind for ages about how to speak up against certain issues that I face as a medical student. Um, just one more thing. Thank you, Pedro, for your question. Um, I similarly being in a position because I'm still quite junior and I've had casual racism, casual homophobia, that's just kind of, you know, it's banter within the workplace. And and I did find difficulty in speaking up, but I feel that with the education and the awareness that we have in our generation and in our predecessors as well, we are understanding that these sorts of behaviours and comments are no longer acceptable. So I feel that if you are able to speak about it, I think the, the repercussions will hopefully not be severe because we are of a, a generation not understanding that this is no longer acceptable and you will be supported and there will be someone out there who will support you and back you when you have when you speak up against something that you don't think is right. So I encourage you to continue what you're doing. I know it's, it can be terrifying, but it's the right thing to do and there will always be someone there to support you. That's fantastic. Um, so we're coming up to 75 minutes, uh, which is kind of our allotted time. Um, these these rooms can go on for hours and hours and hours, but obviously um, we do want to keep to time this evening. So um, Karen, perhaps we should just summarize and and and, um, and then we can uh, close the room afterwards. What do you think? Yeah, that's great. So uh, just to summarize, this is the Bone Club and we are an orthopedic community group on the Clubhouse where we discuss um, different topics but from academia to diversity and inclusion um, and education and training. This evening we were very privileged to have a, a fantastic panel of speakers to discuss the Royal College of Surgeons diversity report. Um, we had Prof Mortensen, the president of the Royal College of Surgeons, join us. Professor Eastwood, who is the VP elect for BOA and who will be president in 2022. Uh, Trish Campbell, who was previous BOTA president, join us. We also had Naomi Davy. Davis from um, Manchester, uh, Miss Anthea Davy from UCLH joining us as well, 
um, and Mr. Nick um, Farron, who is an, a consultant Schroeder surgeon in London. I wanted to thank everyone very much for taking time to join our room and to talk about a very important topic and very topic dear to my heart. So I really appreciate everyone taking time. And to Prof Mortensen as well for making this part of your um, your mission during uh, soon after taking presidency. It's, it's, it's really impactful and powerful to have someone in your position to make this an issue for everyone. And for that, I wanted to thank you and to thank everyone who is continuing to drive this uh, initiative and movement towards a more diverse and inclusive uh, community for all. Thanks. Thanks, Karen. And um, just to finish off, um, in terms of the Bone Club, uh, as you all know, this is an open community for orthopedic surgeons and any musculoskeletal practitioner. We do rooms um, usually every Sunday is our journal club, which is the most um, attended room that we do on a regular basis. We're now in our seventh journal club. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's got a good uh, audience. So you're more than welcome to join in. Um, we also do topical rooms, so uh, topics like diversity, fellowships, um, mentorship, research in action, uh, which everyone is more than welcome to join as well. And all of the details are on our website, which is thebone.club. Um, we're looking for patrons, people to get involved, people who want to, you know, really embrace the, this new technology um, and really change the face of education and connection and networking around the world um, to really help our patients. Um, and that's the point of why we're here. So I would encourage all of you to press the green icon at the top of the page, which is uh, going to take you to the Bone Club, become a member. Um, and also to follow the speakers on stage so that uh, your clubhouse experience will be based around the sort of rooms that they're going into, uh, which is usually orthopedic or surgically related. Um, on that note, uh, any last words from the panelists? If not, we will close the room down. Nope. Yep. Yep. Professor Eastwood? Sorry, yes. Can I just say thank you for being diverse and inclusive and engaged? And the applications for BOA council members finish in 48 hours time. So if you believe in engagement, diversity and inclusion, please apply. We'd like anyone, everyone who's interested to apply. Thank you. Fantastic. So we'll make sure there's a link on that on our Twitter and we'll um, also going to include that in our podcast. So this a recording of this room will be released later on this evening so that anyone who hasn't been able to make it will be able to share in the learnings. Um, so please do feel free to share that with your colleagues. Uh, who may want to listen back. All right, if that's, uh, I think that's the end of this evening. So um, thank you everyone for joining us and have a good night.